Book burning was one of the results of Paul's long-term ministry in Ephesus. Yikes. How's that for a start? They burn books. As a lover of books, this doesn't sit right with me. It makes me really uncomfortable. Because when you hear about book burning, you think about the Spanish Inquisition. You think about the Nazis burning the books that they didn't agree with. And who wants to be associated with people like that? Who wants to be part of a religion that burns books? But actually, when we think about this more carefully, there's something going on that makes this a completely different situation. You know, this is not one group of people telling another group of people, you know, I don't like these books, so you can't read them. That's not what's going on here. This is, a, uh, this is a situation where these people who had loved these books, who had studied these books, who had invested a great deal of money, time, and resources into, into these books, having realized after they met the true and the living God, they realized, you know, this is utter garbage. This is rubbish. I cannot believe I spent so much of my time and my money into this nonsense. And when they were enlightened by the truth, they burned the books that contained lies. You know, they weren't being coerced. This wasn't one group of people telling another group of people, we don't like these books, so you have to burn them, you can't read them. It was these people who found freedom in Christ, realizing that they had spent so much of their time and resources on deception. And so when the Ephesians met the true God in Jesus Christ, they gladly got rid of books that promised them much, but delivered them nothing. You see, these occult and magic textbooks had long imprisoned the Ephesians to idolatry, but no more. This freedom was the gift of Christ and the work of the Spirit. But some people were enraged. Some people were angry. Why? Because money is everything. Money is everything. And that's the first thing we see here. So notice how Luke tells us that about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This disturbance, which eventually becomes a riot and a pandemonium, was caused by Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis. Now, the, the city of Ephesus had the temple of Artemis, and the ruins of this temple are still uh, there today in Ephesus. And this temple of Artemis was such an impressive and a great structure that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And this temple, according to Roman historians, this temple housed a huge stone above its entrance, uh, likely a meteorite. And the story was told that this stone, this meteorite, was placed there by Artemis herself. Now, Greeks called this goddess Artemis. The Roman people called her Diana. And so pilgrims came to visit this temple from all over the Roman Empire. And when they came to Ephesus, they would buy these miniature replicas of the temple and of the goddess and take them home as souvenirs 
and placed them in their home shrines. And the guild of silversmiths made a handsome profit, catering to the, the insatiable appetite for relics, for souvenirs, which was really the insatiable appetite for idols. Naturally, Demetrius and the rest of the silversmiths were deeply displeased about the gospel success. Because what's happening? These new believers, they were burning their investments in idolatry, and they were no longer in the market for their product. And that's why Demetrius says, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Well, you said that's what this is about. You know from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. You remember how that's exactly what Paul said in Athens when he was addressing the Areopagus. Don't you think that the gods dwell in temples made by hands and gods are not like gold or silver or things made by hands? And of course, Paul preached the same message in Ephesus and everywhere he went. And that's why it upset them so greatly. That's why Demetrius and the silversmiths were so angry because, you see, the gospel was incredibly powerful. It was liberating people who were bound in idolatry. And when their eyes were enlightened by the grace of God, they realized that they had devoted their lives, their resources, on futile, useless, powerless things. And they were done with them. They were burning their occult books. They were, they were no longer buying these these uh, shrines. And to Demetrius and to his cohort, money was everything to them, and it was drying up. And that's why they were so angry. But you see, they could not build a public cause around their greed, and so they dressed up their greed in religion. And so Demetrius continues, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. So look at what is happening. Money was everything to them, but the gospel threatened their wallet. And so they could not forgive Jesus or Paul for this unforgivable sin. And so they worked up the city into a frenzy, and the enraged people were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the riot quickly became a pandemonium, and the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's companions in travel. You see, they couldn't find Paul in God's providence. 
But since they could not find Paul, they decided that Christians will have to pay one way or another. And they dragged two of Paul's companions into the theater. So what's happening here? Why are they so angry? Because money is everything. And the gospel was threatening their wallet. And that brings us to the second point. If money is everything, then you have nothing. If money is everything, then you have nothing. Now realize that Demetrius and his cohort, his colleagues, his guild, they aren't just making a good living from idolatry. He is actually in bondage. Now, did you hear how Demetrius described Paul's message? Demetrius knew exactly what Paul was proclaiming, that God's made with hands are not God's at all. That's Paul's message. Demetrius knows the gospel. And no doubt, what the Holy Spirit did through Paul in Ephesus was not just one or two isolated occasions of uh, acts done in a corner, but there were public numerous powerful things done, witnessed by many people, and that's what caused the great turning of people to Jesus Christ. Demetrius did not just know the message of the gospel. He had seen the Holy Spirit work powerfully through Paul, healing the sick, and how the Holy Spirit had restored and rescued those afflicted with evil spirits. And you had to wonder, Has Artemis ever done anything remotely like this? And of course, Demetrius, as a a professional in that trade, no doubt he knew that Artemis, their goddess, had never done anything that's remotely like what the Holy Spirit was doing through Paul. You see, Artemis, like every idol, was a ravenous monster with a bottomless appetite, always demanding more and more, but never giving anything in return. You know, that's how idols work. You better give me more and more. Man, maybe someday I'll give you something back. But if you stop giving me today, you better, you better forget about it. You're going to miss out. And that's how idols work, ravenous, hungry, insatiable, more, more, but never giving anything in return. You know, Demetrius probably thought himself a very clever businessman to profit so handsomely from what he knew was useless and powerless idolatry. But do you see? The truth is that Demetrius is in bondage. He knows the gospel message. He has heard the message that God, in his grace and love and mercy, has come to rescue sinners, and that God had raised Jesus from the dead, and he has seen with his eyes the powerful works that the Holy Spirit has done through Paul, but for his love of money. He shut his heart to the gospel 
so that not only he did not believe himself for the love of money, he hardened his heart to the gospel that he had to oppose it. And let me ask you, what profit is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Demetrius made money his everything, and then he had nothing. But notice the humor, the irony of this passage. Demetrius can't even fool the city clerk. You know, he couldn't build a public cause around this personal anger and greed, so he dressed it up in the cause of religion, didn't he? But he can't even fool that nameless bureaucrat. So he says, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. You know, we often make uh, uh, condescending comments toward bureaucrats, but sometimes a competent and fair bureaucrat is a wonderful thing. And this nameless city clerk, he saw through the issues, and he understood exactly what was happening. And, and the question is this, if this nameless bureaucrat can see through his facade, how is Demetrius going to justify himself before the God who reads our hearts like an open book? Of course he can't. You know, it's interesting, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 5, Paul calls them, people like these, Paul calls them depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. <laughs> you know, uh, within the last few years, there's been uh, stories well covered by even mainstream media of televangelists demanding his church buy him his fourth or fifth private jet uh, because in order to preach the gospel he can't travel you know using public transportation um, thieves wolves in sheep's clothing depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, dressing up their greed in the garb of religion. And that's what Demetrius was. And what's happening here? What's happening is this. Money gave Demetrius his validation. And when he lost money, he was enraged. Idolatry is really about wanting validation. So let me put it this way. What gives you the sense that you are worth something? What makes you think that you've made it in life? And what makes you think that your life is valuable? You know, Demetrius would answer each of these questions saying, money. Money 
makes me feel that I'm worth something. Money makes me feel like I've made it in life. Money makes me feel that my life is valuable. What does that for you? What is it that if you do not have it, that, that one thing that if you don't have it, you cannot see the point of living? Money was everything to Demetrius. But when money became everything to him, he had nothing. So let me ask you, what is your everything? What is that everything to you? And that brings us to the third and the last point, which is Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. I don't know if you noticed, it's interesting that Luke begins this passage about this greed-induced rioting. Luke begins this passage with seemingly uh, unimportant details contained in verses 21 and 22. There, we read that uh, Paul is making plans for the future. He has stayed in Ephesus uh, it was a long-term ministry, and now he's thinking about what comes after. He's making plans, and we read that Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia and Achaia are uh, different words for the region of Greece. And rem- remember that Paul is in Ephesus, which is in, in those days called Asia, which we call Turkey now. So Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul's desire and his plans is to leave Ephesus, leave Turkey, go back to Greece, and then go to Jerusalem. And he hopes then after that to go to Rome. And with that plan in mind, Paul then sent Timothy and Erastus ahead of him to Macedonia. Why? Luke doesn't tell us the reason here why Paul did that, but the reason I think we read in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 15, verses 25 and 26. Because in chapter 15 of Romans, Paul there is writing to the Romans, and he expresses his desire to visit Rome, but not just yet. So this is what Paul says there. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. You see what's going on here? Paul sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia first to collect the gifts that the Macedonians lovingly and sacrificially has set aside in order to help the poor believers in Jerusalem. And so when you realize what is happening here, what Luke is describing here, you realize that here Luke actually put side by side two very different mindsets about money. Paul sends Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia so that they can gather the love gifts of these Macedonians, the gifts that they had contributed in order to help 
the poor saints in Jerusalem. So on the one hand, there's a mindset about money that gives it away. On the other hand, there is a mindset about money that we read about uh, in Demetrius and the riot. This is a mindset about money that is driven mad by money. What's the difference between them? The difference is Christ. Jesus is the difference. You see, putting our faith in Jesus means receiving a validation from God that we had never even dreamed was possible. Because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and through faith we come into Christ so that we are counted as one with Christ, what that faith enables us to do is to hear the judgment that God will give on the last day. We get to hear the judgment today. What God will say to us when our lives are over, by faith we get to hear that judgment today. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we hear God say to us today, you are righteous and I love you. There is nothing that can change my mind about you. No matter who accuses you to me, no matter how much you stumble, no matter how much you struggle, you are righteous in my eyes and I love you. You see, that's what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ, to hear a validation from God. God is telling us, I love you and I gave my son for you. You are precious to me. You mean something to me. And when we have that validation from God through faith in Jesus Christ, that validation frees us from the crushing pressure of trying to find our worth in what we do or in what we have. If you find your validation in your job, what do you do when you get laid off? If you find your validation in money, what do you do when you lose it? It destroys you. If you find your validation in your physical appearance, what do you do when age and health take that away from you? You become like those comical creatures who, who do unspeakable things to their face and their body just to hold on to some sense of youth. You become a joke, don't you? When we base our validation, when we base our self-worth in the things that we do, things that we have, that's a terrible way of living. And that's what Scripture calls idolatry. You give, you give, you give. They demand and they demand, but never give anything back. But when we receive our validation from God through Jesus Christ, it, it frees us, it liberates us from that crushing burden. And that's what we see here. When we have the validation from God, we can suffer losses lightly and even gladly. 
We read in um, other parts of the New Testament that these Macedonians were, they were poor in worldly sense. But they were rich in faith and in their heart. They had little money, but they did not worship money. They had little money, but they did not serve money. Rather, money became their servant for God's glory. So let me ask you again, what is your everything? What validates you? What makes you think that your life has meaning? What is your everything? Loved ones, make sure that your everything is Jesus. Because when Jesus is everything, nothing can enslave you. In Jesus' name, amen. Gracious God and Father, we humbly come before you. We thank you for instructing us today. And help us to learn and help us to hear in your words not only uh, intellectual information, but the power that frees us from bondage and death to live a new life of joy and purpose and glory in your presence. Lord Jesus, we pray that you and you alone would reign supreme in our hearts and be our joy, be our strength, be our rock, be our light, and be our wisdom. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.